Welcome to the Lemper Report Live. Last week, we reported on an Instacart shopper who produced a TikTok video that showed a customer's unreasonable demands. And she decided to share those demands and actually refused the order. After we showed her video, I openly questioned if it was a brilliant PR ploy that Instacart put her up to it. Her TikTok video now has almost 165,000 views. And I only hope that customer and every other delivery customer watches and learns from it. I was pleasantly surprised to get a comment on our report from that Instacart shopper, Violetta Lamone. And here's what she had to say. I appreciate the video. Instacart definitely didn't put me up to this. I love teaching gig workers about not accepting these types of orders. Violetta, thank you so much. A few years ago, I interviewed a different Instacart shopper for my Forbes column, who shared her nightmare stories about the company itself. It appears that little has changed. On Friday, I spoke with Al McLean, the CEO of RetailWire, and we talked about Violetta's experience. He had one to share as well a fabulous experience. During the pandemic, he and his wife have been using Instacart in South Florida, and he shared his best experience. With his grocery order came a handwritten thank you note, along with a scratch-off lottery ticket as a thank you. Wow, how smart was that Instacart shopper? Reminds me of that bagger at the end of the shopping trip that says, thank you. Al also shared that he wished that Instacart would add the functionality to be able to have that same shopper again and again and again, much the same way that Shipt models their service. Now, here's the sad part. What Al didn't share is just how much money he won on that scratch-off. Today, we talk School Nutrition, the effects of wine on COVID, a new concept store from Lowe's, the saga of Trader Joe's, what shoppers really feel about sustainability, how McDonald's and Grubhub are looking at the metaverse, a keto-friendly new product review, a cool food service program, an insightful discussion with Sylvain Perrier on the modern shopper, and on Bullseye, we think we see a hint of the future of retail, and we don't like it. Now, before that, a programming note. Next Monday, February 28th, we'll actually be broadcasting live from the Category Management Association in Orlando, Florida. The broadcast, different time, will take place at 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, but also still on Monday. So make sure you get the time right. Let's get started. Sally, what do your kids think about school lunch? Hi, Phil. My kids take their lunch to school and uh, sometimes they eat school lunch, but, but usually they take their own and that's because they don't really care for the food that is served there. So this is, this is really a topic that's really interesting to me because my kids also go to Title I public schools. And what that means is that more than 80% of the kids in their school are economically disadvantaged. So school breakfast and lunch is free. And during virtual time last year, you could even go and pick up your week's um, supply of breakfast and lunch for free and take it home for the kids. So what don't they like about the school lunch? They don't like, they, they don't eat um, 
the very, very high salty foods. They don't like those. They they don't like the milk that they serve. It t- They say it tastes different to them. Um, and I think that maybe like the, the vegetables and the fruits are just prepared and served in a different way than what they are used to, used to at home. Yeah, now I am, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm a big, you know, I'm a big home cooker and big on fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, but I really wish that the school lunch program worked for them because, you know, we could, we could really, one, it would save us a lot of money, <laughs> but, but also, um, you know, I think that it promotes, um, equity and good eating habits when all of the kids are eating the same thing. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so here's what we're hearing um, out of Washington. Um, and if and if you recall, a few years ago, um, when the Obama administration took place, Michelle Obama created the Let's Move campaign. We were part of it at Supermarket Guru. And she set healthier standards for schools. It was doing really, really well until the next administration came in. And uh, the USDA Secretary, Sonny Perdue, relaxed those regulations. Uh, but hopefully... Um, there's going to be some changes. So on milk, um, the schools and child care providers um, who are serving kids age six and older may now offer flavored low-fat 1% milk in addition to non-fat flavored milk and non-fat or low-fat unflavored milk. Whole grains are back. At least 80% of the grains served in school lunch and breakfast each week must be whole grain rich. And sodium. Uh, not what I'd like to see, but the weekly sodium limit for school lunch and breakfast will remain at the current level. For school lunch only, there will be a 10% decrease um, in 2023 to 2024. Now, these are just interim steps. Hopefully, uh, the Biden administration is going to push it even further, go back to a lot of what Michelle Obama had uh, structured and planned, and we can hopefully you know, get our kids to eat a little healthier in lunch. Um, So it looks like I shouldn't be drinking red wine. Well, the World Heart Federation says that no amount of alcohol is good for you. And I think what we're looking at here is that like the message about alcohol maybe should be more like it is something that you enjoy in moderation, but it isn't really good for you. Even when we see headlines like this one um, that was all over the place, this study saying that one to four glasses of red wine a week could reduce your, your risk of getting COVID. Um, I think it's really important to take a look at the flaws in observational studies like this and that they don't actually paint a complete picture. Yeah, and and they talk about white wine, they talk about alcohol and so on. But the bottom line is this one sentence, an increased risk of COVID-19 comes with the greater number of alcohol consumption, whether it's beer, whether it's cider, even uh, spirits, white wine, red wine. So if you want to be smart and reduce your risk of COVID-19, don't drink. Uh, Lowe's Food is opening up a new concept store. What I what I really like about this story is it has all day entertainment. Now, this store from Lowe's is only 25,000 square foot, about half of what their stores normally are. So they have uh, a second floor mezzanine where you could book events like 
birthday parties, book clubs, uh, celebrations, group meetings. Uh, they also are going to be having events like floral arranging classes, trivia nights, board game tournaments, and beer and wine tasting. So if you're in Huntersville, North Carolina, uh, check out the store. It opened February 18th. So check it out. We'd love to get some pictures. We'd love to get your response if you're going there. Um, what Tim Lowe said, um, who is the president, um, an interesting quote. We call this the Swiss Army knife of grocery stores. We will have a tool for you for what you need to do. They've got a beer den, the Lowe's Smokehouse, Breadcrumb, which is a bakery, Sammy's, which is sandwich or pizza, Cakery, um, where people can watch the assembling of icing on square cakes. I don't get the square cake thing, why it can't be a round cake, but hey, square cake. The Chicken Kitchen and the Divine Cut. So Tim Lowe, good for you. Um, can't wait to see the store. So this is a wonderful story about this group of seniors that live in South Carolina, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and they're called, they call themselves Senior Adventures in Learning and Travel, SALT. And they do all kinds of, of wonderful things. Since um, seniors have been kind of locked up during COVID, they have offered virtual ways for them to um, learn about all different types of activities and travel and um, they they go for they go for outings, pottery, bowling, Tai Chi. But what was so cute to me and so interesting was they recently took a trip where they went to a Thai Buddhist monastery for a tour. Then they went to Wilmington for a waterfront lunch. And then they went to Trader Joe's, which was 70 miles away from their home in Myrtle Beach to to, to shop and to stock up on frozen foods and snacks because that's what they love to get there. So I guess what it says is uh, don't retire. You have too much time on your hands. Um, I guess that's what I take away from that. Um, there was a new survey that came out that showed that 55% of adults would be more loyal to a grocer if they perceived that business to be green. Uh, what else did Retail Insight find? Well, one of the things that was really interesting to me is they found out that 6% believe that their supermarket sustainability programs are not driven out of a genuine desire to help the planet. That was one thing I thought that was really interesting. And then there was also some uh, some good data showing that seven in 10 of shoppers said food re retailers still sell goods with excessive or unnecessary packaging. I find this frustrating all of the time with things that I get from the grocery store. I know. And, you know, sustainability has become such a buzzword and everybody has it in their annual report. Everybody has it in their, you know, mission statements. But that doesn't mean that we have um, the reality. Uh, the thing that I really liked about this study is that 49% of people said they'd pay a premium for goods that were green and more than half, 52%, would be happy for the price of their weekly shop to be higher if it meant helping the environment. Now, who knows if that's true or not. When you actually go into the store, uh, people in surveys are always saying that they'd pay more for everything uh, than they actually would. Um, let's head to the metaverse. 
McDonald's has now filed a trademark for a restaurant in the metaverse. And this, this happened um, on February 4th, and it's going to cover a few different things. They're going to be able to um, use NFTs to sell virtual food and beverage products. Um, also, they're going to operate an actual virtual restaurant that you can, uh, you can order online. So if you've got your headset on and you're in the VR world, um, you can walk into the restaurant and order something to eat without even taking your headset off and it will be delivered to you. But something else that's really great, I think, is that they've also filed for a trademark um, to provide um, entertainment and events under the McDonald's brand. So these these are are, are really popular things that are uh, growing in the metaverse. Um, the uh, Facebook, when they came out and launched, they have now since come gotten up to three hundred thousand uh, followers in their event metaverse, and so that's just since December that that's happened. And what I really like is the McDonald's is saying that. Okay, you're going to put on your VR glasses. Um, you're going to visit McDonald's in the metaverse, but you can actually order real food that could then be delivered to you. So it's not just about fake food and, and pretending that you're eating a burger um, or, or having, you know, a Coke. Uh, basically, they're actually going to deliver it to you. And they're not the only ones. Um, you look at um, Lunchbox. It's a 50 million dollar startup. Uh, sorry, it's a startup that just raised another $50 million. And what they've done is they're funding new projects with um, 25 virtual restaurant brands by the mid-2022. So I just have to wonder um, whether or not uh, we're all going to be just ordering our food uh, through that way versus just picking up our cell phone and, you know, punching buttons, which I think to me is probably a little easier. Uh, this isn't quite about the metaverse, but what I really like, and I think it's important to mention, is DoorDash has now added financing to what they do for a living. And what they're doing is they provide access to capital for those restaurants that have a proven track record on DoorDash. Uh, reminds me when I was a kid um, in New Jersey, all the diners had um, little coffee cups that were Greek and it was blue and white and they had, you know, the Greek buildings on it and stuff like that. And actually, um, you knew that they were buying coffee and tea from a company in, in Philadelphia called Lacus Coffee. And Lacus Coffee wasn't really in the coffee business. They were in the finance business. So what they would be doing is they'd be financing those diners, typically that were owned by Greeks. Um, so it's the same thing, you know, some 20, 30, 40 years later. I love those coffee cups. I we we've never had them here in the South, but I've seen them in movies a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They always they always have them in movies. Yes. <laughs> You're right. Well, it's time for a new product review. So last week, um, I teased this product. Remember, they gave me a bucket hat, uh, Coca-Cola Starlight. Um, I tasted it. Um, here's what I think. First, I'm not a big soda drinker. So let me be fair. And I'm not a Coke Zero drinker. 
I've had it maybe once when it first came out. Uh, Starlight has a fruity flavor, and it's very pleasant and refreshing. I was surprised by it. Uh, it doesn't have a heavy cola taste. Now, I only had one bottle, so we can't do a complete review or give it a score, even though they sent me that bucket hat. But if you're a diet soda drinker, you might want to give it a try. And now it's time for our new product review. This week, it's Be Honest Keto Milk Chocolate Drops. Let me start off by saying these candies are very tasty, a bit larger than M&M's, and they're nice and chocolatey. Their total score is 87. Now, you can see the candies right through this window on the back. That's a cool idea. There are all kinds of claims on this package in the front and the back. It's keto certified, no added sugars, five grams of net carbs, non-GMO, no artificial flavors. But I want to be clear about something. Currently, FDA regulations do not disallow the term net carbs or net impact carbs or net effective carbs in order to describe the carb content on food labels, but they don't regulate them either. The net carb value is derived from a formula. Net carbs equal total carbs minus dietary fiber minus sugar alcohols. A keto certified snack must limit carbs to up to 8 grams per serving, according to the Paleo Foundation. But no government regulation on keto either. The keto certified logo is from a private organization and is a paid certification. I do like the fact that they make it simple to understand right here under the nutritional facts panel with that little chart. Now, these drops are sweetened with isomalt, which is made from beet sugar, and 100% sugar-free, and urethritol, which is a non-nutritive sweetener. Ammonium phosphatide is a vegetable-based emulsifier and stabilizer. One ounce, 100 calories, 6 grams of fat, no cholesterol, no sodium, one gram of protein with 20 grams of total carbs, which after the calculation equates to five net carbs. My recommendation, try them, but don't eat a handful. It's still candy and it's expensive. $13.99 for a bag. Product of Turkey. Today on the Lemper Report, ARA Mark launches cool food meals at Florida State University to encourage students to make climate-friendly meal choices. FSU is one of 10 universities who participate in the program. The World Resources Institute measures the carbon footprint of various ARA Mark meals and then identifies the ones which meet the criteria of the cool food meals program based on the ingredients and the land used to make the ARA Mark products. If the carbon footprint of a dish falls below a specific threshold, it becomes approved as a cool food meal. The per meal threshold is based upon a maximum recommendation daily carbon footprint for a person's diet, which is 38% smaller than the current average, according to their website. This is in line with what WRI's research has found is needed by 2030 to help meet the Paris Agreement on climate change. It also is interesting to note that today over 35% of the main dishes that the company serves on menus at workplaces, hospital cafes, university dining halls here in the U.S. are vegetarian or vegan. Now, if we could convince supermarkets to follow the same path for their prepared meals, wow. 
This week's Modern Shopper goes behind the scenes as we talk to Sylvain Perrier, CEO of Mercatus, about how e-commerce should be a strategic pillar and not a secondary one to brick and mortar. Check out the complete episode at spoon.guru. So when I talk to retailers, um, this is probably pre-pandemic, to be fair. Um, they thought of entering e-commerce for one simple reason, Amazon. Amazon scared the hell out of them. Um, is that still a reality? Um, are, are retailers you know, jumping ahead because of, of Amazon and, and their fear of Amazon? Uh, I think the... the I used to hear the same thing, um, but I think that narrative has changed. That the narrative has changed because we've not seen wild and crazy things come out of the acquisition of Whole Foods. I'm um, certainly I haven't. Um, you know, we were seeing some brick and mortar that is you know coming out of uh, you know various pockets in the U.S., predominantly in California and so on. The bigger threat, to be honest, and the one that is certainly on the tip of everyone's tongue, is Walmart. And now it's time for the bullseye. CVS is gearing up to make a change to almost all of its locations. And if you're a CVS customer, you may not like it. CVS just announced that customers will no longer be able to do one thing in its stores starting February 28th. CVS will no longer be allowing shoppers to visit its pharmacies during certain times of the day, according to the Washington Examiner. They will be adjusting its pharmacy hours to implement a pre-scheduled, uninterrupted lunch break for its workers. According to CVS, most of its pharmacies will begin closing from 1.30 to 2 p.m. to provide the time for lunch. Now, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that the pandemic coupled with a labor shortage has put many pharmacists under intense strain over the last two years. New York Times reported that just about two weeks ago, Disruptions in vaccine appointments, longer lines to pick up prescriptions, and frustration in getting certain pandemic supplies like masks or at-home COVID tests have become the norm for many customers. According to a January survey from the American Pharmacists Association, 74% of pharmacy workers report they no longer feel that they have sufficient time to safely perform patient care and clinical duties. A major problem for sure. But I question whether closing the pharmacy for a half hour is going to fix it. Having 30 minutes for lunch may be more stressful than staggering lunch breaks for an hour. I'm sure that CVS is also trying to exhibit to their employees that they care about their health and their well-being. But for many people, especially for those who are in caregiver situations, that lunch break might be just the only time that they can get to CVS. I also think that other retailers, everybody from grocery stores to hardware stores to clothing stores, are going to be watching this carefully to see if this can help retain staff and improve morale. If it does, look for more lunch breaks. So, Sally, got any Questions or comments today? We do. We have a few. Jo uh, Joan Vueger, I'm probably not saying her last name right. I'm sorry about that, Joan. But she says, is there a place to find links to the studies referenced in today's session? Would love to read the details. Thank you. Yes, if you message me or Phil on LinkedIn, I will get those links to you. Anyone can ask for those at any time and we'll provide them. 
Um, and then Frank DePasquale, with inflationary pressures on a fixed reimbursement from the USDA, any suggestions on how to improve meals while containing cost? Well, I think, uh, and, and Frank um, makes a really good point and comes from a really good place to ask that question. Not only for about 15 years was he the number two person at the National Grocers Association, but he also went on to be the CEO of the School Nutrition Association. So he knows from where he comes um, and he probably knows the answer better than I. But I think what we really need to do is, is start from ground zero, is to start from a clean slate. And, and certainly we want to look at everything that Michelle Obama did, everything that the Let's Move program did. Um, but the problem, as Frank well knows, is most of our schools in this nation don't have kitchens. That's the major problem. So, you know, they've got to either slack off product. Um, they don't have a full kitchen. Like when I was growing up, um, I grew up in, in Newark, New Jersey, and the kitchen uh, for school lunch was enormous. I, they must have had like four stoves and so on. You go into a school lunch program now, um, and you're lucky if they have a stove. Um, you know, so I think that that's the first thing that we've got to really do is look at what kind of a kitchen equipment is needed uh, in order to prepare healthier foods at a fixed price to make it equitable for everybody. And how we fund that, well, that's another question, but maybe you know that's the first dollar that the government has to kick in is to get those kitchens up to speed. All right. Yes. And I wonder also, I would ask Frank this question, too, if, um, you know, if 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 there have been any focus groups on, you know, let's check and see what these kids want to eat, what they will eat. And my other question is, is I wonder what the cost would be um, when you compare it to the um, the healthcare costs that come out of this obesity issue that we have with children right now. Maybe if we provide better food, then we're saving money on that end. Excellent point, Sally. You know, we really have to look at uh, food, not only for kids in schools, but all of us uh, very holistically. And, you know, we have to look at the back end from health with fitness. I mean, all that in order to really do it, because I'm frankly really tired when people say I can't eat healthy because it, it costs too much. Mm -hmm. And they either live on fast food or highly processed foods that are loaded with sugar and sodium. And then at the back end, you know, there's that cost of diabetes and, and heart mm -hmm. disease that we've got to deal with. So you're, you're definitely right. And instead of maybe a food pyramid, we need a food circle that includes healthcare costs in it as well. Yes, um, and John Pandall, um, he's got a great comment today for us on COVID wine. Increased alcohol consumption equals higher COVID risks. I don't know, maybe alcohol consumption correlates with social interaction, which leads to more infections. Could you imagine health advice? If you drink, drink alone. <laughs> John, <laughs> once again, you probably get the star for the day. <laughs> I love that. Love that.
So with that, um, again, just want to remind you that next Monday will be at 12 noon Eastern time and 9 a.m. Pacific time. We'll be broadcasting live from the Category Management Association's annual conference in Orlando, Florida. Um, I'm going to be walking around. I'm going to be showing you stuff as we do the report and hopefully some new insights that we haven't thought of yet coming out of Orlando. Uh, please visit us on supermarketguru.com for not only the transcripts and copies of today's episode, but also past episode. Um, as Sally said, feel free to send us a question if you want a particular link to a research study. We're happy to get it to you. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletters. Have a great week, and we'll see you from Orlando on Monday.